you are already empowered. I don't need to empower you, nor do these ideas, but they will give you a framework for thinking about how you or how to ask so that you get more. And that's not about confidence. It's literally just like a tactic, like a way in which you can think about what you ask for. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, girl, hey. Hey, girl, hey. That might have been your best one yet. It was like sexy and sultry. I really liked it. I mean, four years in the making. You know what I'm saying? We've had a practice round or two. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, someone else who has had a practice round or two is Dia Bondi. She's with us today, and she is the CEO and founder of Dia Bondi Communications, which helps high-performance professionals speak with power and purpose at crucial communications moments to amplify their impact and reach their goals faster. She's also a captivating keynote speaker, as well as the esteemed host of the empowering and thought-provoking podcast, Lead With Who You Are. With almost two decades of experience, Dia has coached leaders, entrepreneurs, and social impact innovators to speak from the heart and achieve their goals. She now aims to share her insights with others, empowering them to find their courage and authenticity to make a lasting impact in their careers, businesses, and lives. Dia's passion for elevating leaders' impact and helping women ask for more is evident in her work. She's collaborated with renowned brands and organizations serving as a secret weapon to enhance their communication and leadership. She's the author of the upcoming book, Ask Like an Auctioneer, launching on November 14th. Right, Heidi? November 14th? Sounds right to me. All right, cool. She'll clarify for us. Pretty sure. You can pre-order it now is what I do know, which was born out of a unique experience attending auctioneering school. And she aspires to empower 1 million women to ask for more and claim their rightful place in decision-making positions. As a coach and story strategist, she's worked with the Olympic committees of Chile, Turkey, and Brazil, and helped Rio de Janeiro secure the 2016 Summer Games. Dia's confidence and expertise have garnered recognition in media outlets like CNBC, Make It, and Forbes. Listen to this show if you want to discover the art of asking like an auctioneer to empower yourself to be assertive in your requests, you want to take control of your goals and create a future filled with success and fulfillment, or you are eager to break through barriers, gain confidence, and ask for what you truly deserve in both your personal and professional life. So Dia, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. We love having you here. So let's jump right in because you know I love this. How can you describe the concept of asking like an auctioneer in a way that empowers women to be more assertive and successful in their requests? Because Heidi and I talk about this all the time. Having real direct conversations, especially those that frighten us, is like maybe one of the hardest things women tend to encounter, or at least we make it that way in our mind. Okay. So I'm just going to say it has nothing to do with empowerment at all. In my business and in this work, I come from a position that you are already empowered. I don't need to empower you, nor do these ideas, but they will give you a framework for thinking about how you or how to ask so that you get more. And that's not about confidence. It's literally just like a tactic, like a way in which you can think about what you ask for. So here's what it means. 
I've been a longtime leadership communications coach, like 20 years. Okay. And I help a lot of leaders in there. And I work with like VC backed founders and senior leaders and organizations. And I've been fairly active in the world of women in work, advancing women in the workplace, because I want women to be able to speak powerfully as a leadership tool to advance them, them in their own domains. And often people come to me because they have to, they have a really specific critical moment coming up and they need to speak powerfully in it. And in order to build a story around what they're about to pitch or talk about in the world uh, that matters, I have to ask, what are you asking for? This is like, you know, what do you want from your audience, right? In marketing speak, we'd call it a CTA. Call, and, um, call to action. The, yes, thank you. So the thing that we're asking for is usually, you know, headcount, budget, you know, expanding your team. Maybe you're looking for investment, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Once I get the what they're asking for, I'll ask, great, now how much? And this is when the hand wringing starts. And the answer I get back is, well, I don't know, Dia, what do you think I can get? And for years, I was like, great question. What do you think you can get? And they'd say, well, I need 10 heads, but I could, they'll never go for it. So I'll ask for six and then they'll borrow from the engineering team an extra two. And then I'll get some discretionary budget for contract work to close the gap. Fine. Well, I need a hundred million dollars, but they'll never go for that. So I'm going to ask for 25. Okay. Do you see what we're doing? And then oh. you go ask for 25, you ask for six heads, whatever it is. And when you get it, you're like, yay, look at me. And I, for years I was like, awesome. You're awesome. You got what you asked for until I started auctioneering. Cause that's not what we do as auctioneers. Can we just go there first? Like, cause I mean, I obviously I framed this up in the, in the intro, but like, can you bring us back there to that moment? Because obviously that is the most compelling word of your entire intro is like auctioneer. How does one become an auctioneer and what drives one to want to be an auctioneer? So, okay, I'll, I'll try to keep this one brief. Brevity is not my core strength, but here we go. So I was an auctioneer. I was the auctioneer for my kid's preschool fundraiser years and years ago. My kiddo is 16 now and 13. And because none of the other mommies and daddies and caregivers were like, oh, pick up the mic and do that. They were like, no, more behind the scenes type of people. And this is like, you know, it's a community fundraiser for a preschool, right? Your friends, your family and your cousins and everybody comes and they bid on, you know, stuff they don't need to raise money. And I was like, that was fun. A couple of months later, I'm having dinner with some friends and we were all sort of doing bucket list stuff. And I was like, you know what I would do? I would actually learn how to do that. Fast forward 10 years, I'm on sabbatical and I'm looking for something, you know, I just put myself on a sabbatical and did the artist's way end to end. I really like, I really, I dug into my fitness. I just really was in a state of sort of rest and rediscovery of who am I now? And I wanted to learn something weird, not in my domain of communications. And my husband said, remember that thing you said you would do? So I got in an airplane and- Wow, your I husband went to listens to you. He's awesome. That's amazing. He's awesome. I met him when I was 15. And so he's been listening for a long time. So I was like, oh, yeah. So I went to auctioneering school because that's a thing. I was like, how do you learn how to? Oh, there's an auctioneering school. And in that time, I was like, what am I going to do with this? It's not, I'm not, it's not a job for me, you know? But I wanted to like kind of play it all the way out. So I was like, I know when I get back to the Bay Area, I'll start doing fundraising auctioneering as an impact hobby for women-led nonprofits and nonprofits benefiting women and girls. And that's what I did. And 20 auctions later, that's when it hit me that actually when we asked the question, what do you think I can get? 
and that defines what we ask for, we inevitably leave money on and opportunity on the table. What we do as auctioneers, that would be the equivalent of me opening the bid at $100, somebody raising their paddle in the room, and me saying, sold. Ha! Huh. So what we do as auctioneers, we can't do that. We cannot ask in order to get the first yes. We have to ask, and we cannot sell anything until we get a no. $100 bidder, who's in? Everyone's in. Looking for $200. Every, you know, half the people are in at $200, looking for $300. I mean, I'm using simple numbers, right? $300, and I'm down to two paddles. I'm looking for $400. I'm still down to, I'm down to two paddles. I'm looking for 500. Somebody drops their paddle. I'm looking for 600. The person with the, with the standing paddle says, nope, not six. Great news. I got a no. And that lets me know it's time to sell it because I've maximized the potential of that ask. Do you see what I'm doing? So we're going for a no. We're not going for a yes. Now, why don't we do that? And then I'm going to get off my high horse. Why don't we do that? It's because there is a relationship between courage and the size of an ask we can make. We most often can only make as big an ask as the amount of courage we can muster to make it. And that courage is limited by what we think we can get. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't make that ask because everything between a mostly guaranteed yes and that menacing word no, because nobody wants to hear a no, lives in a place I call the zone of freaking out. And the Zofo we have told ourselves where we're not, we don't have a guarantee, we don't know what we might get, is a place of rejection and shame and all kinds of stuff we loaded up with. But if we're willing to and can step into the Zofo, get a no and negotiate down, you will inevitably get more than if you had aimed for a yes. And you can be sure you've maximized the potential of that ask. So do you hear how this isn't like, how do I just speak confidently and how do I be empowered? This is literally a tactic for deciding how much of what you want you're going to ask for in order to guarantee a more successful and more fruitful ask. This is amazing. This is Heidi speaking for anyone who can't see us. And so I was an actress for many, many years. I started as a kid. And when I broke out of that field, I was actually lost because I had a team of agents and managers who knew exactly what to ask for for me. And they bargained for me and they did all the asks for me and they did all the things for me. So I never, I would be on the phone with, you know, one of them saying like, that's not an app. And they would do the work. I didn't have to do any of it. You know, I mean, I barely had to say that. I really didn't. But, you know, when I broke out onto my own into another field, I had no idea what things were worth. And I created and produced the yoga encyclopedia for Microsoft. And it's in every Microsoft computer that exists all around the world in every language. And they approached me as a person. And I had a number in my head that, quite frankly, was 10% of what I got because I used a manager who knew what to ask for. So how does one, without a manager or an agent, know what to ask for? Like, where do you get this intel? You don't. <laughs> you're going to, what you're going to do is you're going to, so I want to talk about the word worth. Okay. Cause that's a loaded term and it's a problem. It gets in the way of asking big very often. I, I agree. So, and I'm, I'm going to share with you like in my framework, how I think of that one is you're look, I, I, whether you're asking for 
you know, comp Ben, you're asking for a salary, you're asking for an hourly rate, a contract price, you're asking for, you know, uh, you know, this is maybe not related to like selling products. If you own a baby clothing store, I'm not going to tell you to like ask like an auctioneer when you price the booties. Okay. Because there is like a very public market price a suggested MSRP, whatever. I don't even know about that. I'm not a retail lady, but this is about these moments where you are living in a very unique context at this very moment in a market that is in conversation with you about exchanging your time and talent for money. Okay. So <clears throat> we're going to do our best to understand what the ballpark is. You're going to ask around, you're going to go to resources like, for example, um, uh, 82cents.com is a, is a resource to help you negotiate in, at market, okay? You're going to do your best research. And then you're going to recognize that the ballpark is not your ballpark. There are a lot of coaches in my domain that charge a third of what I do, okay? Because I live in my own ballpark. They live in their own ballpark. So that's number one. Number two, as we think about the word and and I'm always like linking this back to what stops us for asking for more than we think we can get, you know, what gets in our way. And very, in the hundreds of conversations I've had with women in my keynotes and workshops around Ask Like an Auctioneer, I've seen that what can get in the way of us asking for more is the idea that our worth and worthiness is tied to the response we get. So I don't actually even talk in terms of worth. What I like to think of is instead what I learned from auctioneering, which is price or what somebody will do or or do with you or for you is a measure and a way to see what they value and how they value it, not a way to define worth or worthiness. Do you hear that? I love that so love much. That. And you know something I've noticed just to give my own anecdotal two cents is that this is something I realized in the coaching realm, both as a coach and as a receiver of coaching and somebody who participates in masterminds and all these different things. When I priced my services lower, it was a different buy-in for the recipient. And when I started really valuing what I was giving, because also I don't really do like, like I'm a high touch coach. I'm like a in your pocket 24-7 concierge type of, because that's what I like to do. Like if I'm going to coach you, I want to help you. I had to value that. But as importantly, I had to make sure the person on the receiving end had skin in the game. And I had learned that from having skin in the game myself, from paying for high ticket coaching myself, that I drank that in. I did not miss one second of one Zoom on one mastermind call because I paid for it, I valued it, and I had skin in the game. Yeah. And I think it's very important even for the person on the other end, what we put as our worth it has currency to the other person and how they value that product or service. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think there's also something to really recognize here around. I just want to, I want to interject that, you know, we're talking right now about money and in Ask Like an Auctioneer, you know, money is a metaphor, but I've grown up in the world of leadership communications. I helped Rio de Janeiro win the right to host the 2016 Olympics. I've been in and around the tech space a lot. I work with founders and folks in their careers and entrepreneurial journeys, you know, and it's not just, I don't live in the world of just like comp and pricing. Yeah. So I have a belief that asking is one of the most overlooked and in some cases actively avoided success strategies out there. And that when we make strategic asks toward our goals, it's not just always about money. 
you know, talking about money is a great metaphor, but it's about, there are four categories I've noticed that any ask can kind of fall into. Can I share them? Would love it. Please. That was my next question. Do you have mind reading skills as well as asking <laughs> skills? Yes. Tell us, please elaborate on the four categories because we want to, we want to understand and how do you guide people through each one of those? Great. Yeah. So one is money, right? And this could be about what you don't want, right? It could, you know, money could be about like what I don't want included in, like I want a discount, right? It can, it's not just about more. It's like, can also be about getting less of something you don't want to pay for. So that's investment, that's contribution, that's donation to your nonprofit, that's, you know, RSUs, that's stock options. That's like all the things related to What's money. What's an RSU? Yeah, what's an RSU? Restricted stock option. Oh, sorry, a restricted stock unit. And then the second category is, so we need more money, more, more financial resources to get us closer to our goal. Second one could be, uh, can f- often fall in a category called influence. And this isn't about being an influencer. It's about what asks might I make that grow my influence, uh, elevate my profile in front of a key audience, give me access to networks that I that can help me advance myself toward my goal, right? How do you grow? What asks might I make that grow my influence that help me get into action in a way that advances my goal? Third category is, is around authority. So this can be promotion. This can be asks that put you more in control of decision. This is about decision-making power and being the author of something. In some cases, it could be literally now you are director, so you hold the pen to approve budget. In other cases, it could be, I had one woman early days and asked like an auctioneer, she was like, I want more control over my schedule, you know? And it scared the crap out of her. She asked like an auctioneer, she wanted to go to half time for the same amount of money so she could get on the path of starting a new career that put her more in control of her own time and impact. Love that. Right? And then the fourth category is balance. And we're not talking about work-life balance. What I'm talking about is bringing into balance who we are, our internal world and our external world, so that we are living in alignment with who we are. Quick example, a woman was in a sales role in an organization really saw herself as a creative, wanted to go to design school and become a designer. Totally assumed that she'd have to leave her company to do it. She got encouraged to ask like an auctioneer and go to her boss and say, I want to move over to design and I want to enroll in design school. What's possible here? Totally expecting for him to be like, that's really, seriously, ain't nobody got time for that. But not true at all. She managed to secure uh, a deal that would allow her to enroll sponsored in some design classes and to move from a sales function into a design function and marketing, very crucial for that business because they retain her institutional knowledge and she didn't have to abandon her entire existence in order to start something new. So that was an effort for her to bring into balance who she really was and how she saw herself with the work she was doing every day. I, it's so amazing as a boss. Sorry, yeah. Heidi, I just wanted to say like, I, cause I worked, the last company I worked for, I've shared this before, Heidi knows this, was a phenomenal company. It yeah. was a PR agency called The Narrative Group. I worked there for six years and my bosses appreciated us and treated us with kindness, respect, and, and flexibility. And, you know, one of the things they reminded me was like, PTO is part of your compensation package, like PTO and vacation days. So you're not being a hero by not taking your <laughs> vacation days. Like you love to be that hero that like doesn't take, you know, that's, silly. You're literally not taking part of the plan that we offered you as compensation. And so I think that's really so 
so astute of a boss to help the employee value that, help the employee foster their sense of creativity or a desire to explore other spaces of their professional acumen and aptitude. What a great way to encourage employee retention by actually seeing somebody for who they are and encouraging them to have that balance of all things, right? It's so true. And this is the little tricky part. You know, I bring the workshops and keynotes to organizations and it's sort of like, oh, you know, you're going to, you're going to, we're going to teach a bunch of women how to ask for more and get it. You know, is that a problem? It's like, well, when we think about these four zones, right? Like money, influence, authority, you're talking about, I mean, we were at um, Alphabet's X team. I'm talking to like site reliable re- site reliability engineers who are like, I want to deploy this pilot project that I did that is going to increase security across all these critical projects in a way that is going to actually save the business a lot of time, money, and reduce risk. You know, these women are like they're advancing what matters to the business using asking as a success strategy. It's not just about what they're going to get, you know? Right, right, right. Well, let's talk about that because there's so much, I mean, first, I want to address, Jane, that even though I can't see you today, um, (laughs) even though um, I just love that narrative did that, but I, sadly, I do think it's not the most commonplace practice. I think that there's a, a lot of firms that discourage PTO. I think it's frowned upon. I think... There are some companies that use it as like, oh, she's taking a sick day. Oh, she's taking maternity leave. What's wrong with her? She's not tough enough, blah, blah, blah. And also at the same time, like I feel like that fosters the next thing I want to talk about, which is goal shaming, right? And I feel like a lot of people experience goal shame when they feel stuck or unable to achieve their aspirations. I mean, so Dia, how do we, how do you address that? And how do you help people overcome this very common challenge, you know, helping them move towards their goals with renewed determination so they don't feel like it's like, gimme, gimme. It is part of the bigger picture in helping the company. Sure. So there's two things. It's not always, it's not always tied to helping the company, but that is a thing. These are not mutually exclusive, right? Well, if people are happier, they stay and they do, they're more productive. So I feel Absolutely. like it does help the company, right? Exactly. And and understanding that we're not talking to just people who live an employee life. Mm-hmm. We're talking to people who also are, you know, self-employed, they're entrepreneurs, they're founders. Like, so we're not just in, a, in an employee retention conversation, but yes, yes. yes. I just want to make sure folks who are listening you know, I, I got you on the like independent professional world. Well, it's also every ask you make for a different contract. If you are an independent contractor or an entrepreneur, it's the same. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because your client is sort of your, your company, so to speak, and that, you know, your employer in that moment. So there's two things, purpose, but also the tool of naming and claiming is really important. So when I think about goal shame, what I notice a lot, especially with ambitious women, is that they they can kind of feel like they want the wrong thing. So it's I it's like less I I hear less consternation about not achieving goals and more consternation about feeling like they don't have the right goals. And so I've found that there are three goal categories. See me in like the naming and claiming and categorizing of things. This is frameworks are really helpful. I remember um, last year I was at a um, just give you an example. Okay, I love examples. Um, yeah, last year I was in um, New York for a big event. I was working with the executive team, prepping them for this thing. Uh, when it was all done, ended up at the bar with my with my client and. Um, and we were shooting the breeze about like, what's next in our lives, right? And 
there was a little moment where she was like, I don't really have any goals. It's kind of embarrassing. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, all these other women are very like, they're so ambitious. They, they know they want to be GM or SVP in the next 18 months. They have like really clear goals about, you know, where they want to publish, what the, you know, there's all very like alpha type goals, you know? And she was like, I just want to be done by four every day and hang out with my kids. And she kind of felt embarrassed with that. I was like, oh no, girl, that's a goal. That's a goal I like to call an experiential goal. The kind of life you want to live can be a goal. It doesn't have to be about winning a gold medal that you can show to other people. These kinds of ambitions that are very rewarded in our culture. So one goal type is this experiential goal. I just want to have a set of experiences that are very aligned to the kind of life I want to live. And then the other two are um, goals that are recognition goals. These are, I want to win a gold medal. I want to be named, you know, Forbes 30 under 30. I want to be GM by the time I'm 35. I would like, I want to make, you know, I want to break a million dollars by X time. Like these are legit and cool goals. No shame. And then the third one is mastery goals. These are folks who like, for example, inside of an organization or like, I want to, I just talked to a woman last week. She's like, I wanted to be director. I wanted to be in a director position. I wanted to re- attain director level, but I just don't want to manage people. I want to be known. I want to be known as the like, uh, I don't know, agile coach. Agile is an approach to project, to de- delivering projects inside of organizations. I want to be known as the agile expert, residents, you know, like resident expert and build a reputation around that. And I want to know everything to do with it. I want to be just absolutely masterful. And I want to I want to be elevated in my career, but I don't want to manage people. And that can sometimes have a little bit of, of goal shame and embarrassment around it because it doesn't look like the traditional or sort of like easily recognized and rewarded, oh, I manage a team of 50 people. That makes sense. I look, this is so helpful in so many different aspects of our lives. Like obviously we're talking very professionally focused, but I'm just thinking of making asks in all different areas, having difficult conversations with the husband, the family member, and how some of these practicalities can come into everyday life. I kind of have a question. So like, obviously you have worked with leaders and change makers, and we've talked about some of the common obstacles that people face, but like, let's just kind of break it down. So say that you're really clear and with your intention and you go in ready to make your ask and they say no, (laughs) like we're all scared of the no. And you started off this conversation by coaching us to like reach for the no and stop being scared of the no. But I feel like it's really easier said than done, right? So like, what do we do with that? So a couple of things. You can't expect yourself to it for it to be neutral. Like it's got, I sent a proposal off last year. I think I talk about it. I gave that example in my TEDx that I did this year. I sent a proposal off last year. My skin was on fire, ladies. I was squarely in my Zofo and I was like, oop, here it is. But I, I'm reading the signal as like, you're not bad. You're not breaking rules. You're standing up for yourself. You're doing something courageous. You're standing up for your dreams for yourself. You know, like, so we got to like a little bit reread that feeling, okay? That it's not a problem. It's a signal you're being awesome. Okay, that's one. (laughs) (laughs) The other one is this idea that, um, and I I know I I mentioned purpose earlier and I didn't talk about it. We can go back there if you'd like, um, or you can just get my book. Um, But the, the, (laughs) the, the idea here is when 
I'll draw on the world of auctioneering. When I work with a client to do an art auction, for example, one of my, one of my favorite clients where I'm going to have the book launch party, um, Kala Art Institute, okay? And we're looking at the seven items we're going to do at, a, at the live auction outside of the 150 pieces of art in the silent auction that are hanging on the walls. We'll decide ahead of time what we want, what we want, it, what we hope it will sell for, okay? Um, it doesn't matter what people will say yes or no to because it has, has to actually play out. But we decide two things very clearly, what our reserve is and what we're going to do if we don't get that reserve. Reserve is the minimum we'll take. We won't sell this piece of art unless we can get $1,000 for it. Okay. I start the bidding lower and I know not everyone's in a competitive bidding situation, you know, in your lives and careers, you all are, you just have to, just, you just have to anticipate, what do I think they'll say no to? Okay. So I get that. You need to know what your reserve is. So for you, it might be a minimum salary, remember, you know, minimum set of RSUs, uh, minimum, like a certain, a, a certain scope of a contract. Like you won't do something for less than a certain hourly rate for folks who might be creative, you know, doing design or writing for folks. Okay. Know what your reserve is and then ask yourself, what am I going to do if I can't even get my reserve? People ask me all the time, what am I, what, what happens if I get a no? What should I do, Dia? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to do? So if we can decide that for ourselves before we go into the ask, now the ask is not a cul-de-sac. It's just a speed bump. If we get the no, and it's a hard no, not a no and then let's talk. So people have to decide what plan B is if there's a no? I'm like, how, how does somebody do that? <laughs> Um, I, I am sure it's all in your book, Ask Like an Auctioneer. Um, so in what is your elevator pitch before I ask the second part of this question for the book, Ask Like an Auctioneer? And obviously we gave our two cents in the intro, but your book, Ask Like an Auctioneer, aims to fill in the blank. Help a million women ask for more and get it using the mental model, tools, and frameworks from the world of auctioneering. I, yes. I love that. So is can you please give us and our listeners a powerful success story from your coaching or experiences where somebody applied your principles and achieved amazing results by simply asking for more? Simply. So many. <laughs> okay. This one's this one's a little goofy, but I love it. So Jane, my friend Jane, the champion, I call her Jane the Champion called me because she has a nonprofit that she started while she was full-time in-house. Is this what you're looking for? Yeah. This is what you're looking for, right? Yeah. Whatever was, you want to share is what we're looking for. <laughs> great. She, she was in-house as a chief of staff at a large tech company. Okay. And she started this nonprofit uh, to provide world-class coaching, world-class coaching to um, young women entrepreneurs in social impact. And it took off like wildfire. And there was a point at which she had more women applying for the program than she could support. And she realized she wanted to let go of what she was doing as a full-time chief of staff and build this nonprofit to be fully sustainable with her as the, as the ED, right? And for it to support her life, make it possible for her to say no thank you to her regular job and go and grow this thing into what its sort of promise was to the world. She called me. She said, hey, Dia, in, in the... In the um, in my effort to try to make my nonprofit more sustainable, we're going to pursue a, uh, a sponsorship program. 
Okay. And I have my first sponsor conversation coming up. Can I get on the phone with you? And I was like, yes. So we kind of put together, you know, this conversation was going to be a hybrid of my leadership communications work because she knew she's going to have to make a pitch and speak powerfully in that moment. But also she had a really concrete ask. When we got into it, I asked her, okay, great. Before we, I, I see your deck. It's beautiful. I understand the story. Can you help me understand what is it that you're asking for? And she said, money, sponsorship. And I said, great, how much? And she was like, what do you think I can get? And I was like, wrong question. <laughs> what is it? And then we had the conversation about what is it that you need? What's the like absolute minimum you can say yes to? And then like, you know, and she started with what do I, what do I, oh, how about 22,000? And I was like, really, Jane? And she was like, well, hang on a second. She hadn't really done all the math. She was kind of gutting it, you know? She was like, I was like, that's going to, you get a couple of sponsorships like that and that's going to let you leave your tech job. Let's get real. So she came up with a number that was, you know, bigger than that. It was like $37,000 or something per, per cohort, per sponsorship for the cohort. And I was like, great. And I said, are you going to ask for that? And she said, yes, but oh, it makes me feel sick. I was like, oh, welcome to the zone of freaking out. Makes you feel sick because that feels like you don't know what kind of answer you're going to get, right? She was like, absolutely. So I find that a lot of women are like, I can negotiate a multi-million dollar contract on behalf of my company, but when I go ask for something myself for myself, I, that's when things fall apart. Understood. Understood. So what we did is we drew on the idea of being an agent for your purpose, Okay, that's one of the chapters in the book. And we got, we talked a little bit about like, what is your nonprofit doing? What kind of impact is it having in the world? What are some of this, like imagining the faces of the women that they're, that she's, she's enabling with this, these programs really got back into relationship, recognizing that you're not asking for 37 grand for a down payment on a Lambo. <laughs> you're asking for 37 grand to be, you know, a participating sponsor and a cohort of women who are solving educational issues in Central Africa who are right. Like, come on, that are uh, growing, uh, growing um, impact in, you know, health and life sciences, like blah. So she, when she was like, OK, no, I think I can be an agent. For, I got it. I got it. So she went off and made the ask a couple of weeks ago. Weeks later, I texted her. I was like, Jane, how'd it go? She said they said no. And I was like, to all of it? She said, yes. And I'm sharing the story because it is an example of a hard no that they got. So I said, what happened? She goes, yeah, I went and I asked for like 45 grand. Like she just kind of went for it, even though she and I had talked at like 37 or whatever the number was. And they said no. But she said, the thing is, Dia, is they said no at 45. They said no at 37. They said no. They said no. They said no. All the way down the line. And I was like, Oh no, she said, no, it's not an oh no. I realized, we realized, me and my team, that we were asked, the ask that we were making, and it would have been at any amount, was forcing them to recognize that they did not have a giving strategy around social impact. We were asking the wrong people. So she said, it got us really clear about our curated group of folks that we are going to nurture relationships with so that when we go into those asks, we're asking the right people. Is Jane the champion still chief of staff at a, at a tech company? Absolutely not. Is her organization a sustainable nonprofit? Absolutely. Because she had the courage to be an agent for her purpose, ask big, notice the response, learn from that, and then drive that into her, her next set of strategic asks so that she could reach her goals with her nonprofit. 
I love that. And you know why I love that so much? It's because it's what I I tell people all the time. People are like, well, how do you work with brands and sell programs? I say, I just keep selling it until someone buys it. It's pretty simple. It's a numbers game with a bit of strategy behind it. But if you're constantly so scared of the no that you never go out and get the intel on, well, this this kind of works. Let me shape shift it. This kind of worked. Maybe this was the kind of the wrong person. Let me go to a slightly different category. It, you got to go out and get the intel to get to the target, right? So we can think of it like this. You, you're going to ask for more. You, you may not ask for more and get it every time, but you're going to ask for more and get it over time if you're willing to stretch yourself and get the no. I love that. I love it. This was so fabulous, Dia. I think that you've, I, sorry to use the empower word, but you've empowered me. So I think you've empowered a lot of <laughs> I women. I think you gave to, us a lot to think about too. Sorry, Jane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're right. And just to be more tactical, practical, and confident. And we thank you so much. Now we have one little piece of the show that we always do, and we're going to wrap it up with something we call Karma Call. And I'll hand it to Heidi. Thanks for singing, James. So I always explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing, inspiring, empowering guests, what is one small actionable item that our listeners could try on for a short period of time, say two weeks, that would yield a giant result? So small action, big result. One small action. In the next two weeks, find an opportunity to ask for something you don't think you'll get. I love it. Once, an upgrade on your hotel room, a larger size coffee for the small size price, and just challenge your assumptions about what's possible. Oh, such good advice. Such good advice. Be brave, be bold, get the grande when you only ask for the, what do they call it? I don't even know, the small. I don't know, but, <laughs> but the answer will always be no if you don't ask. Yeah. So. You're absolutely right, Heidi. It's such great advice, Dia. Thank you so much. So Dia, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you both on the socials, on the internet, and where they can find your fabulous book when it comes out? Sure. You can easily find me at diabondi.com. The book has a home at asklikeanauctioneer.com. If you purchase or pre-order the book, it comes out on November 14th. You'll get um, you'll get some bonus content that will get you into action right away. And you can find me on the Instagram at diabondia. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for joining us at home. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at, uh, I just said that right. Yeah, I did say it right. <laughs> on the gram at off the gram podcast. Wow. Four years and I've never made that mistake. That's actually a miracle. You know what? Better late than never. Anyway, we love you and we'll see you next time.